many of you have a cat or have know somebody that's had a cat? Okay. Have you ever watched a cat hunt its prey? They, they tend to play with their food, I guess you could say, right? So maybe you don't have one that gets around live mice, but if you give them one of those little stuffed mice, they'll chase it around and they'll pounce on it and they'll sort of play with it. Uh, Shakespeare described the topic that we're going to talk about this morning in terms of a monster, and many think that he had a cat in mind when he described the monster because he says, jealousy is the green-eyed monster that mocks the meat or the food that it preys on. And this morning we're going to look at how jealousy uh, created great sorrow and destruction in the life of Jacob's family. So turn with me, if you would, to Genesis 37. And to give you a little bit of context, um, Jacob left his father's home after having um, betrayed his brother and after having um, uh, deceived his father in order to receive his father's blessing and his brother's birthright. He goes away into another land, spends some time with his uncle, ends up getting married. His uncle deceives him. Uh, he doesn't marry the girl he wants to marry at first, and instead of saying, okay, God's provided for me a wife, he then decides he wants to marry another wife, and so he works for another seven years for his uncle in order to have the right to marry her. He stays another six years and is cheated out of the wages that he's supposed to receive from his uncle, and so for 20 years he's gone from his homeland. He returns, and he's settled in the land. His father and mother have now died, and now it's, it's his inheritance in the land that God had sent him to. But some of the results of his own deceit and favoritism earlier in his life are now coming about in the lives of his children. And so the context is verses 1 and 2. He lives in the land where his father had sojourned or dwelled in the land of Canaan. And now the focus shifts to his son, Joseph. Joseph is uh, his second youngest son. Joseph is his favorite son the daughter of Rachel, the wife that he had wanted to marry in the first place. And Rachel died in childbirth, giving birth to her second son, so she's no longer around. And so he has these two sons of Rachel that he loves that are his favorite, particularly the older one, Joseph. And Joseph, um, in his actions, contributes to his brother's dislike of him. But the main reason that his brother's hate him, are jealous of him, is his father's favoritism toward him. We see this in verse 3. Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons. He makes him this special coat as a gift, as a sign of his affection and his love for his son. Because, verse 4, they see that his father loved him more than all the other brothers, they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. So the first reason that his brothers hate him, they're jealous of him, is dad likes him the best. If you've ever been in a circumstance in your family or in your class when you were a student in school or on a team or something else and someone was the favorite of the coach or of the parent or of the teacher, there's a little bit of an element of resentment toward that person, particularly if the reason that that person is preferred over you has nothing to do with 
your skill or your performance or any of those sorts of things that you've done if it's just simply this person likes that person better and so they always pick them over you for whatever thing you're talking about. His father loved Joseph more than his other brothers. Then Joseph has a dream. And in the dream, they're out and they're gathering up wheat and they're binding them into sheaves. And the first one, Joseph's is there and his is standing up straight and tall and the other sheaves are bowing down to him. His brothers are angry. Why are they angry? Because this is a picture. Joseph is going to be in charge of us. And they did not like that at all. So they hated him even more because he tells them this dream. He has another dream. And in this dream, the sun and moon and 11 stars, well, this picture would be not only are his brothers going to be bowing down to him, but their father and their mother as well. And this for him uh, was a sign that he thought that he was going to be in charge of them. And for his brothers was a further reason to add to their resentment, their anger toward him. His father rebukes him. But then his father thinks about it. And why would his father consider his dream? Dreams today are not something that we should be guided by in terms of the decisions that we make in life or those sorts of things. But before the Bible was completed, God would sometimes speak to people in dreams. Back in Genesis chapter 28, when Jacob himself was getting ready to leave Canaan for the first time, be gone for 20 years, he had a dream in chapter 28 and verse 12. The ladder that was set on the earth going up to heaven and the angels going up and down on it. God appears to him in the context of that dream, says what's going to be the course of his life and all of those sorts of things. Um, why was that significant for Jacob? Because God kept those promises. And so now Joseph has a dream. And Jacob considers Joseph's dream as being a possibility of coming true because he himself had had a dream at the beginning of God's work in his life. Then we come to the middle part of the chapter, verses 12 through 17. Jacob sends Joseph to check on the brothers. They're pasturing in another place in Shechem, and he says, go check on them and see how they're going. Verse 14, go and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock, if it's doing good or bad, and bring word back to me. So he sends him, and he comes to Shechem. He's wandering in the field. A man finds him and says, what are you looking for? I'm looking for my brothers in the flocks. The man says, they're not here. They've moved on to another place called Dothan. Then we come to verse 18. When they saw him from a distance and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. We say, well, that's a pretty significant step to go from we resent our brother to we're going to kill him. Think about what's going on in their hearts and minds. Their father has two wives and then two women that he took as sort of wives as concubines. So they have, they're all related to one another by their father, but not by their mother. The first child who was born was the son of Jacob's least favorite wife, Leah. And so even though he deserved the right of inheriting all of his father's wealth, he's expecting that he may not get it because his father is probably going to give it to the firstborn of his favorite wife. That wouldn't be right, that wouldn't be just, but that's something that I think that he expects is going to happen. That explains his actions in the previous chapter. That explains perhaps some of his actions later in this chapter. 
but he's worried I'm going to miss out on what is owed to me because my father likes my younger brother better. So that's his concern. The other brothers recognize that there's been this conflict while they're growing up. There was conflict between uh, their father's two wives and his concubines about who was going to have the most attention from and love from their father, and that affected their perspective on their relationship to one another. And so you have all these competing groups, and so their thought most likely is this. If we get rid of Joseph, we have an opportunity to get what is owed to us. And dad can't play favorites anymore because he doesn't have any, the one that he loves is no longer around for him to show favoritism to. This seems to be something of their line of thinking. Verse 19, they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Now then, come, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits, and we will say, a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. And so Reuben, the one that we would expect to be most interested in securing his birthright because he's the one that it was owed to, already knows that possibly some of his actions early in his life are going to make it so that he can't get it, and he is worried about the effect that losing his favorite son is going to have on their father. And so he tries to thwart their plot and says, all right, throw him into this pit, and then later in the night he can sneak in and rescue him and take him back to their father and he'll be safe. Verse 23, when Joseph reached his brothers, they took off his, his tunic, his coat, the one of many colors that was on him, and they took him and they threw him into the pit. The pit was empty without any water in it. Then they sat down to eat a meal. Uh, consider the, just the, um, the heartlessness of this. They just got done having a discussion whether they should kill their brother in order to take away and get what their father owed them. And they are now just sitting down having a meal, as though nothing had happened. Joseph's in the pit, waiting to see what's going to happen. They're figuring out what they're going to do next. They sit down and they have a meal. Clearly, there is, there's no love lost between them and their brother. Now, it appears that Reuben has to go away for some reason. The reason is not named in the text. But it appears that he goes away because in verse 29, he's going to return to the pit. Perhaps he go, had to go attend to something with one of the flocks. Perhaps there was uh, some other thing that came up. He had to go away for a little while. While the other brothers are there eating their meal, they look and they see a caravan of traders coming, Ishmaelites from Gilead, with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. Ishmaelites were distant relatives of Jacob and his family. Um, Ishmael was the half-brother to Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. So these would have been distant cousins of theirs who were traders who traveled back and forth between the desert and then down into Egypt. They see them coming by, and one of them has an idea. Verse 26, Judah said, What profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. 
Then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. We look at this and we say, clearly there's still a, a major problem going on. I mean, yes, they didn't kill him, but they're still getting rid of him, right? And not only are they getting rid of him, but they're taking advantage of the situation and, and, and making a little bit of profit from it. Reuben returns, verse 29. He goes to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, so he tore his garments. He returned to his brothers and said, The boy is not there. As for me, where am I to go? Most likely, he assumed his father was going to lay the blame on him for not having looked after his brother, and there was nothing he could do about it, and his plan to interrupt their plot was no longer going to be successful. And so they go back to their earlier idea. Verse 31, they took Joseph's tunic, killed a male goat, and dipped the tunic in the blood. They sent the tunic and brought it to their father and said, We found this. Please examine it to see whether it is your son's or not. Notice they don't even refer to him as our brother. Is this Joseph's? They just said, Hey, is this your son's? We, we found it on the side of the road, that sort of idea. Jacob looks at it, sees what they've done, and assumes that a lion or some other beast has attacked and killed Joseph. Verse 34, he tore his clothes, put sackcloth on, and mourned for his son many days. His all sons and daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. He said, surely I will go down to Sheol or to death in mourning and weeping for my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. And so we look at these things and we say, what would bring someone to the point of acting in this way toward their own family? What came over them? I mean, this is, this is at one level just hard to explain. I mean, they're family, right? And yet they had come to a point in their lives where they hated their brother so much that they were almost ready to kill him, and then they actually did sell him into slavery. So what's going on in this? Well, for one, we have to ask ourselves what part of the blame falls on their father. Because clearly he is not helping the situation, right? He is showing special attention to this son. He is showing that he loves him more than the rest of them, he has contributed to this situation by his favoritism. Did he have the right to love Joseph more simply because he loved Joseph's mother more? And the answer is no. Even though he loved Joseph's mother and even though he was pleased that she finally had a son when he was old, he had no right to ignore the rest of his sons and to fail to show love and attention to them as well. So clearly, Jacob was sinful in that. Does that excuse the brother's response? The answer is no. The reality is that we can go through a number of circumstances in life in which other people have done wrong to us, or there are circumstances that make it easier for us to do something that doesn't please God. We're still responsible for the choices that we make in response to those circumstances. If I am tired it is much easier for me to get upset at my wife and kids. But if I get upset at my wife and kids and I yell at them and I say things that are uh, untrue or, or hurtful to them, 
that's still my responsibility. I chose to do that even though it was easier for me to do it because I was tired. And there are other circumstances that are much more significant than being tired that make it easier for us to sin, but we are still responsible before God for our choices. And so clearly, Joseph's brothers were wrong in their jealousy. What provokes jealousy? What is jealousy? Jealousy is, I feel like I deserve something, and I'm not getting that thing, and so I'm thinking about it, and I'm getting worked up about it, and I'm continuing to want that, and usually that then spills over into actions. What are some circumstances today in which this might take place? Maybe you're at work and you get passed over for a promotion. You really feel like you're the one who deserves that position, but someone else gets it instead. Maybe you experience something of what was going on in this family and your own family. Your dad or your mom liked one of your siblings more than they liked you, and they made it clear to you. Maybe it's in the context of friendships. Someone that was your friend started spending more time with someone else and, and ignoring you, and that bothered you. That hurt you. You were, you were upset about that. When we see jealousy, it's something that starts inside us, right? With what we're thinking with what we're feeling. Then it tends to spill over into our actions, right? We do something about it. Maybe we do something to try to um, tear down the person that is the object of the other person's attention. Our coworker gets the promotion, we start spreading rumors about what they were doing or start watching them really closely to try to get them in trouble. Um, our brother or sister, we feel like, is getting more attention than us, and so we either start doing stuff that gets our parents upset so they have to spend time with us, or we maybe try to set up our brother or sister so that they get in trouble themselves, and then maybe the attention will shift back to us. Um, in the context of just friendships in general, again, we, we do things to try to change the balance of the relationship. But what ends up happening from those actions? What happens from those actions in this story? And obviously, these actions are extreme. Most of us in jealousy do not go to the extreme of considering murder and actually doing something to get the person out of our life so we never have to see them again. But we take actions, we take steps that flow out of the jealousy that's in our hearts sometimes. What is the result of that in this story? Sorrow. Regret. Their father was heartbroken because his son was gone. They realized how much they had harmed their father, and they realized the weight of what they had done, not immediately, but later on in the book of Genesis, one of them specifically says, uh, Reuben says, why are these bad things happening to us now, later on in the book? It's because of what we did to our brother Joseph. And so he had a very clear sense of guilt that what he had done was going to catch up with him someday. How do we deal with jealousy? If jealousy starts in our hearts, leads to actions, and produces sorrow and regret, how do we deal with jealousy? Well, 
we recognize some of the circumstances that lead to it. In this case, it was favoritism. Uh, is jealousy always wrong? We probably, should, we probably should think about that for a moment. Is jealousy always wrong? The answer is no. The Bible says that God is jealous for his people. So God says, I want my people to worship me and not to worship false gods. That sort of jealousy is right. A husband ought to be jealous for his wife. If some other man wants to talk to her and try to draw her away from him, there's a right sense in which that should bother him and he should be jealous for his wife. That kind of jealousy is right and appropriate. Jealousy that is based on things that are true and jealousy that is uh, designed to preserve a relationship that ought to be there. The relationship between God and his people ought to be there. The relationship between a husband and wife ought to be there. When is jealousy wrong? Jealousy is wrong when it is that person has something that I think I should get and I don't have, so I'm going to do whatever it takes to get that thing from that person or in their place. And that's what we see in this story. So what then happens if we do this? If we give in to jealousy, we break God's law. The ultimate end of that is murder, but we might not get to that point. We might stop at any one of the points between this person bothers me to I wish I never see this person again. Think about the story of Cain and Abel earlier in the book of Genesis. God says, bring me an offering. Cain brings an offering, but not the one that God wanted. Abel brings an offering, and God was pleased with it. Cain says, I hate my brother, and he kills his brother. Because he felt like God did not accept his offering, and he deserved it, and so he was angry with his brother. That's the ultimate. That's the extreme. We can do all sorts of things along the step leading up to that. What is the solution to jealousy? The solution to it is the humility and the obedience produced by the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is this. Jealousy starts when I say, I deserve this thing that I don't have. We could ask it this way. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because that's how we look at ourselves, right? I'm basically a good person. That's what we like to think of ourselves. I'm basically a good person. I deserve good things. Something that is not good comes into my life. I don't deserve this, so I need to fix it. That's essentially what's going on when jealousy is stirred up. This person owes me something, and they're not giving me that thing, and so I have a right to be angry about it. What's the reality of where we stand before God in terms of what we deserve? Well, the reality is whether we stop on the path of jealousy at I resent this person or we go all the way to the extreme of murder, whether we only lie about little things like someone says, are you going to come over to my house? And we say yes, and then we decide we don't want to do it, so we call them up and we say yeah, something came up and I can't make it, even though the something that came up is I really just wanted to sleep in or not hang out with you, that sort of thing. That's a small lie in our minds. A big lie would be like the stuff that people get caught for embezzling thousands of dollars. Both of those things are sin. The reality is we can do small sins or we can do big sins, but all of us sin. And because all of us sin, all of us God is rightly angry with because he said, 
do what I've told you to do and don't do the things I've said not to do. All of us has broken God's law. And so if we've broken God's law, that means we deserve punishment. If we break the law um, in our cities, we are obligated to some kind of punishment. If you park on the street on trash day, they have a right to give you a fine. You may think it's a silly rule, and I've been there, I, sometimes it is, but they have the right to give you some kind of punishment for it because that's what the law says. In a much greater sense, God has the right to punish those who have broken his law. So when we, the, the, the first thing in thinking about how do we deal with this problem of jealousy is recognizing that our perspective of I deserve good things, I didn't get a good thing, I'm owed a good thing, is not the right starting place. Instead, we should start over here and say, I might want to think of myself as a good person, but I'm really not a good person. There are a number of times in which I do things that are wrong. And so because I've done things that are wrong before God, I deserve punishment for those things. And so instead of saying I deserve only good things, the reality is I deserve bad things or I deserve punishment. That's one place to start. The reality is also true that if I go from this perspective, I'm a good person, to this perspective, I'm a sinner, the, the good news is God has made a way to deal with that sin. The way is what we sung about in the song right before the message, which is that Jesus is the solid rock. Our hope has to be in Jesus, whom God sent. This whole book of Genesis starts out telling us how God made the world and how things started to go wrong. Adam and Eve ate from the fruit God said not to eat of. Cain killed his brother Abel. All of these other people do all sorts of terrible things in this book of Genesis, and it keeps reminding us over and over again that we're not basically good, we're sinners, and we need God to take care of that sin problem. The way that he did that was that centuries after the book of Genesis, he sends his son Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, we talked about that at Christmas, born to save people from their sins. If we say, I'm a sinner, but God has sent Jesus who lived perfect and died as a sacrifice to take care of that sin, and I trust in that, I trust in him as my payment for sin, then instead of approaching people with the perspective of, they owe me a bunch of stuff, I approach it from the perspective of, I deserve far worse than I'm getting. God provided Jesus for me. Because I have been forgiven much by God, I will forgive other people when they do wrong to me. That doesn't mean that somebody showing favoritism or mistreating us is okay, and there's certainly circumstances in which we have to take action about it. But it does mean that instead of seeing it as an offense against me, I see their sin as an offense against God, and I have a goal to point them to God instead of to get what I'm owed out of the situation. Now, what's the third thing that we realize? The third thing that we realize is when we weigh what I want and consider what God has done for me and think about what has more value, the thing that I want or my relationship with that person or to put it at an even higher level, what God can do in and through that person, 
I say, you know what? It is not worth it for my life to be consumed by jealousy, pursuing what I feel that other people owe me because of the work that God has done in my life, because of the work that God can do in that person's life. And so instead of pursuing jealousy from sort of a low-grade resentment, this person irritates me all the way to the extreme of, and I wish I never saw them again, ever again in my life, we can say, this person irritates me, but you know what? My sin was far more offensive to God than this person's sin is to me. What can I do instead of this person, instead of plot and scheme against them and try to get what I want from them? I can pray for that person. I can tell that person about Jesus. I can seek for that person to be right with God. Rather than selfishly looking at the situation and saying, here's what I deserve, here's what I ought to get, and I'm not getting it, so I have a right to be angry, and I'm going to be angry, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get what I deserve. When we look at this passage, Joseph's brothers looked at Joseph, and they looked at their father, and they said, Joseph is the obstacle, the thing that's in the way of us getting what we ought to get from our father, our inheritance, his attention, all those sorts of things. That is what sin does. Sin causes us to see people as things, as obstacles, as objects in the way of what I want. And that's true of a whole lot of different sins, right? But instead, we should look at people in the context of what God can do in their lives, of hopefully what God has done in our lives, and to see that, yes, they're sinful, and yes, what they're doing is wrong, but God can work in them. God has changed them as hopefully he's worked in us and changed us. And so instead of our lives being consumed by jealousy that starts in our hearts, that leads to wrong actions, that produces all kinds of sorrow, because what do jealous people have at the end of all these things? Do they usually get the thing that they want? Think about earlier in the life of Jacob's family. Leah was jealous of her sister because Jacob loved her sister more than he loved her. Did she ever get, as far as we can tell, Jacob's love? No. Jacob was wrong in what he did. I'm not trying to downplay that, but... Leah tried over and over again, and she thought, if I have enough children, my husband will love me. He never did. Jacob's sons thought, if we get rid of Joseph, our father will love us. It didn't happen. It didn't work. And what happened was they got rid of their brother. They thought they were never going to see him again. They broke their father's heart, and it led to more and more problems in their family. Now, the story behind the story, which is where we tend to jump because we start at the end of the book and sort of read back into it, is that God does amazing things in the life of Joseph despite what his brothers had done. And God uses the fact that his brothers sell him into slavery in Egypt to put Joseph exactly where God wants him to be so that in turn down the road he can save his family's lives as he rises to power under Pharaoh's authority and as God uses them in the context of a famine to provide food for his family. And so we think about the verse at the very end of the book. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. 
that doesn't mean that all the things they did here were okay or fine because it all worked out in the end. They were sinful in their jealousy, in their wanting to get rid of Joseph. God offers a way for us to deal with those sorts of sins in our hearts. And so we have to ask ourselves, am I going to hang on to whatever sin it is? Jealousy, lying, greed, whatever it is. Or am I going to say, Jesus can and will deal with this for me on my, on my behalf if I turn to him and trust in him? And that's the only true solution to the jealousy that we see in this passage. And so I, I, I hope that we will think about these things and watch out for signs of jealousy in our own heart. What it boils down to is this. I am most jealous, even as someone who believes in God and follows God, when I forget how much God has forgiven me, I think about how much I feel like other people owe me, and I use that as an excuse to do all sorts of things to get what I want. Watch out for that in your heart and life. Recognize that Jesus is the only answer to it, and pray for God's help. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we look at these truths from your word. We see all of the terrible circumstances that were going on in the lives of Jacob's family because of the sinful choices that people were making. We thank you that Jesus is a way for us to escape from that sin, for our sin to be paid for. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be confident that we have turned to him and continue to turn to him instead of loving our sin and living in it. We pray that you would give us safety as we go from this place, that we would watch for how we may be jealous of those in our family or those around us, and instead put that in the context of what you have and are doing in our lives so that we might be pleasing to you. Lord, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.